Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We are in Genesis 40 tonight. Genesis 40. You know, when I was thinking about this message and preparing for it, the title that came to mind for me was Broken Dreams But Not Forgotten, but I don't really think that that's accurate. I, I think really this is unbroken dreams. I think this is about a man that had dreams from God, literally from God. I think he always had a sense that those dreams would be fulfilled, but he was a man who had gone through a lot of stuff at a very young age. Some of you can really relate to Joseph. Joseph was a favored child, but he was betrayed by his brothers. You know, they wanted to murder him, but he ends up getting sold into slavery. And it was really all because of envy. And, and I've been telling you guys that a lot of scholars see a typology from Joseph to Jesus. There's some comparisons that you can see there. So he's betrayed by those who are supposed to love him most because he's the favored one. He has that coat of many colors. And we've been calling this series uh, in this image behind me, Joseph's Journey Wrapped in Grace. And we've been using the idea of that coat of many colors to talk about the multifaceted faceted nature of God's grace, that it shows up in many different ways in our lives. And we can see that in Joseph's life. But Joseph... You know, he ends up being sold into slavery, and he ends up in the house of Potiphar. He's the captain of the bodyguard. He's in a very high position. And then remember, you know, he, he's elevated because he's a man of integrity. He seems to be a man of, uh, you know, know-how and leadership. But it doesn't take long until Potiphar's wife begins to make passes at him, and he's trying to exit stage left. He's trying to run away from her. He pleads with her. He appeals to not... He doesn't want to sin against God. He doesn't want to do this great evil. That's what he calls it. But she keeps on day after day. And we, we talked about how sin is pictured as crouching at the door. But in Samson's case and in other cases, it seems like sin just keeps beating on the door of your heart or the door of your life. Let me in. Let me in. Right? And it's hard sometimes not to answer that door. But Joseph, Joseph was definitely a man of integrity, and so he said no. And finally, one day, when nobody was in the house, remember, she said, lie with me. And he's, he tried to get away from her, and she grabbed his garment. Remember, he boogied out of the house, and she was left holding the garment. And so she falsely accused him, and he ends up in prison. So that's where we've left off now. He is in prison, and uh, we're going to pick up the account in Genesis chapter 40. Let's pray. Father, just want to thank you for every precious person that's made their way out here tonight and those who will listen to this message at a future time, whatever that's going to mean, whether it's on radio or off the website or the app. But we know, Lord, that you always have a purpose for your word. It never comes back void. It returns what you want it to do. It, it waters and it, it, it causes growth. And that's our heart's desire tonight, that you would grow us, that we would hear from you tonight, Lord, and we'd have ears to hear what you would say to us, and that we would have a heart to obey what you say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to tell you a quick story. This week, um, we have a lovely church mem member from Romania, 
And her name is Paula, and she's sitting near the back um, today. And she's been coming for about six months now, I think, a little bit better than six months. And uh, she told me that it was on her heart on Monday to come and see me in the office, that God had put something on her heart, and she wanted to share it with me. And so um, she didn't come on Monday, and she probably wouldn't have found me on Monday because Monday's my day off although I'm here for a brief period of time for the radio program. But anyway, she made her way in here uh, today before the service started. And we're talking a little bit about her testimony. And she came over to the United States and she left family behind and that was hard for her. But um, she went through a real tough time in her life and she's very open about her testimony. And, and what happened was she got into a very deep depression and she, she described to me in my office just a little while ago, the depression was so deep that she couldn't even get out of bed anymore. She was pretty much in bed 24-7. And so her husband um, had shared with some people that he had met along the way what was going on with his wife. And I think a couple of those friendships were Christian people that heard Paula's story. And so what happened was eventually she was invited to someone's home and she went over and she began to speak to the wife and they were in the kitchen and the two husbands went outside and they began to talk and the wife said, you know, uh, I heard what's going on with you and uh, invited her into the living room. And she, she was telling me that back in the day, this is around 1990, it was still at the time when you didn't have a thousand channels on your television, there were only a few selections, right? And so she said that the woman said, you know, whenever I'm depressed, I turn on this television station, and it was a Christian station. And she flipped on the television station, and the guy that was preaching was a man named Mike Barber. And if you know Mike Barber, Mike Barber played uh, football in the NFL, and then he retired from the NFL, and he started a prison ministry, and he's been on TVN a lot of times. And I don't know a ton about his ministry, but I've seen him before. But he's gone into prisons and done a lot of prison ministry. And so Paula said that the moment that the lady turned on the television, Mike Barber was closing out his program, and it was the end of the prison ministry program. And right when the station came on, Mike was looking at the camera and shared the following words. He said, you may not be in a real prison with bars right now, but you might be in a prison of your own body. And he began to preach the gospel. And Paula said that she was just stunned because the moment they turned on the television, Mike Barber was speaking directly to her life. She was that person in that prison. It was not a prison with bars, literal bars, but it was a prison you know, that had been created by a series of events in her life. And if you want to know more, I'm sure she'd be happy to talk to you. But... It, I told Paula that, you know, the, the reason that the Lord put that on your heart um, this week was because of this message, because I'm talking about Joseph being in prison. And though Joseph was in prison and he was a man who'd been betrayed for doing the right thing, betrayed by his brothers, betrayed by Potiphar's wife, he was more free than anybody in Egypt, I think. And here's why. Because even though he was in a physical prison, he was a free man. Jesus talked about if the Son makes you free, you shall be what? Free indeed. That's what Jesus does for you. Your, see, your life does not have to be determined by your circumstances. You can have peace and joy and freedom 
even in tough circumstances and in tough situations. And it doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. I don't want to paint any kind of false picture. And I will tell you this. I think Joseph definitely had his moments. I think he had his question marks. I'm sure he had nights and, and mornings that were tough for him to try to understand God's plan. It's much easier when you're stepping back reading the Bible to watch you know, what amounted to something like uh, 11 to 13 years of his life where he's in a prison situation. You know, There's a little debate about how long he's in Potiphar's house and how long he's actually in the prison, but he ends up being sold into slavery at 17, and he doesn't rise in Egypt until he's 30. So that's 13 years. How those years divided, I don't know for sure. But he spent a long time in prison. Just recently, I watched again the movie the, Mount, the, the Count of Monte Cristo. Have you ever seen that movie? It's with Jim Caviezel. And the story is about a man who uh, is betrayed by his best friend. And the, the best friend betrays him, uh, basically sells him out, gets him uh, into basically a, a prison situation that is almost like death, and steals his wife. Steals his, the love of his life. It wasn't his wife at the time. And so he's in this prison. It's a dungeon-like prison. And basically, they open this little trap door you know, once or twice a day, and they f feed you this little pottage, and you're just alone to go insane, basically. Once a year, on the anniversary of your entrance into that prison, to uh, celebrate your anniversary, they beat you with a whip and then say, see you next year. You have no human contact, you're just alone. And so he, he's, he just starts to write on the walls. And one of the things he leaves on the wall of the dungeon prison is, God will give me justice. Well, as the story goes on, uh, there's a priest that's been in the prison for a long time, and he's been trying to dig his way out. And he ends up coming up through the floor where this other prisoner is being held, Jim Caviezel, the Count of Monte Cristo. And he's totally freaked out. It's like this guy's coming out of the grave. Anyway, the priest teaches him a lot of stuff. And he teaches him how to read and write and arithmetic and how to fight. And ultimately, the priest ends up dying as they're trying to dig their way out. The whole, the whole story is about how this man ends up you know, being, becoming very wealthy. He, he inherits this treasure that the priest tells him where it is. And he thinks that his whole life now should be about vengeance. But when he gets his vengeance on all of his enemies, the, he yells out at the ocean as he's bought this final property where the prison was. And he says, priest, you were right. You see, he thought he would find uh, life and satisfaction in revenge, but that's not where it was found. But he had learned some really good lessons about that God is faithful, and there's a, there's a tremendous scene. I tell you what, hold your place in, in Genesis 40, go to Psalm 105 for a second. There's a tremendous scene where um, he reunites with the love of his life, and you know he's, he's been trying to kind of act like he's somebody else, but she knows who he is, Psalm 105. And uh, she basically says, I'm paraphrasing, God has caused all of this to come together for this moment. And he says, can I not escape him? And he says it with, you know, almost like a angst in his voice. Can I never escape him? And she looks at him and she says, no, because he's in everything. It's a great scene in the movie.
Well, I think that's Joseph's life. Joseph was in prison for a long time. He, he could have been a man full of bitterness. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about a special offer that we have. We could all use more help on how to deal with temptation. And I wrote a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. And one of the major themes there is how to deal with temptation and really to follow Joseph's lead on how to put on the full armor of God and how to deal with the typical ways that the enemy, the world, and the flesh come at us. It's our special offer on Living Truth Radio, and here's how you get a copy of the book. Go to the website, livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. You'll see the book there. And just go ahead and put for any size donation to Living Truth Radio. We will send you a copy of that book. Just make sure you put your information there. We appreciate your prayers and your financial support. God bless you. Here's here's what it says in Psalm 105, verse 17. We've looked at this before, but I want to point it out one more time. It says, He, that is God, sent a man before them, before Israel, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Psalm 105, 18. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Now, when you read commentaries about this particular psalm, there's two views on it. One is that he was put in iron fetters, like making his way into Egypt to be sold as a slave, which is certainly uh, typical. But there's another view, and it seems to fit well with this context, that he was in some sort of iron chains in prison, at least at the beginning of his prison experience. If you go turn back to Genesis 40, until he got favor with the warden, if you will. So I came across this. This is from um, James Montgomery Boyce, Boyce, and he's got a commentary on Genesis, and he's commenting on Psalm 105, and he says these words. He says, the second part of verse 18 says quite clearly that Joseph's neck was put in irons. That, uh, That is, he was fettered to his cell by an iron collar, at least at the beginning before he was favored by the prison warden. But for some reason, when the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek, that's called the Septuagint. If you ever see LXX in your Bible or your study Bible, that's the Septuagint. It's the, the translation of the 70, taking the Hebrew Old Testament and translating it into Greek. And that was completed around 250 BC. So he says, so the word for neck was rendered by the word suke, for some reason, the word soul. That was the first mistake, says Boyce. Then when the great Jerome came to do his Latin translation of the Bible, for some reason he inverted the subject object of the sentence and instead of saying his soul was laid in iron, he said iron entered his soul. After that, the expression passed into the English prayer book and became a proverb, iron entered his soul. Well, the phrase is a translation error, says Boyce, but if there was ever a fortunate mistranslation, this is it. For the phrase well describes how a cruel fetter placed upon the body can in time seem to be placed on your soul, and after that of having entered into your soul. You begin by trusting God in the affliction, but after a while the monotony of the struggle wears you down. And you begin to take on some of the rust of the chains or the shackles. 
Eventually, your life is so consumed with the routine and the situation in which you find yourself, you wonder, will this ever end? And does God really care? And I think that there's a lot of people in our world tonight that feel that way. There's a lot of Christians, admittedly, that feel that way. We have a struggle. It could be more than one thing. And we sometimes wonder, is there ever going to be relief from this? Is this ever going to end? And we can fall in the, into the monotony of having iron enter our souls. In other words, Christians are supposed to be free. You know, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, steal kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it to the full. But I wondered, as a young Christian, what that full life really looked like, because I find my, found myself going back to my chains, oftentimes, if you know what I mean. But progressively, the Lord was making me more and more free. And Joseph's story is Joseph is still in jail. He has dreams. And I'm not talking about dreams to build a company or dreams to play a pro sport or become famous or whatever your dream may be. Joseph's dreams were from God. And his dreams were quite interesting. His dreams were that his family was going to bow before him, including mom and dad. Of course, the family didn't take real well to these dreams, and I'm not sure that Joseph should have shared them over morning Pop-Tarts. <laughs> but he did. And this is what started all of this, you know. The, but God was using every part of the story to weave his tapestry. He was working all things together for good to those who love God. There's a way to keep iron out of your heart and to keep your heart soft, and that is to keep your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of your faith. See, he's in your life. He literally lives in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So to think that he doesn't know what's going on with you tonight, or he doesn't know your struggle or your pain, is just false. It's a lie of the enemy. And the enemy is often whispering lies to us and trying to get us to go back to a prison that we've been set free from. And Joseph is here in Egypt, and you know he's got all the reasons to complain, and we've certainly got ours, our list to make. But Joseph is in jail, but he's not forgotten by God. In fact, God is working out his plan as we pick up Genesis 40, verse 1. And it came about after these things that the cupbearer, the cupbearer, the, if you have the King James, New King James, it says the butler. It's always the butler that did it, but in this case, it's not the butler. And the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. So we're introduced in Genesis 40, verse 1, to the cupbearer and the baker. After these things, you might say, whenever you're reading your Bible, after what things? Well, if you look back in Genesis 39, it says, verse 20, so Joseph's master took him, put him into the jail after he's falsely accused, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. There he is in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. Joseph became a steward of the prison. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. The writer wants us to, to realize that even though Joseph is an enterprising young man, it's because of God's presence that this is happening. And whatever he did, what's the Bible say? 
The Lord made it to prosper. Uh, we had a brother come in, <laughs> and I'm not sure. Is Art here tonight? Art has not made his way. Art came to the front, and he goes, Hey, I've read ahead a couple chapters, a couple chapters ahead of you in Genesis. He goes, This guy can't get a break. <laughs> What's going on here? I said, Isn't it interesting how real the Bible is? How it tells us the real story, but how we can see that God is still working in the circumstances. And even though you could say this guy couldn't get a break, God was causing things to break in his favor. Here's a verse to remember, Proverbs 19, 20, and 21. Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end you will be wise. Many are the, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. That's Proverbs 19, 20, and 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. You know, many times as I'm reading my Bible, I'll come across something that is kind of dark. You know, we were dead in transgressions and sins, but God, what? He made us alive, right? And you see God, his intervention in situations that's, that are dark and seem dark, he has ways of intervening and using the situation for good. So, uh, chapter 40 opens with two very prominent pr prisoners that enter into the jail, the cupbearer, the baker, and the candlestick maker. That's in a, another translation. No, I'm just kidding. Candlestick maker is not there. There you go. And the Pharaoh was furious with these two officials, verse 2, Genesis 40, the chief cupbearer. So notice they're not just the cupbearer and the baker, the, the chief, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. Now, these positions in the ancient world were not just your kind of standard servant type of people. To be the chief cupbearer was a high-ranking government position. Nehemiah was in this position in Nehemiah chapter 1 when he says, I was the cupbearer to the king. In this case, he was the cupbearer to Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. And we know that story, how he intervened for Israel, went back and rebuilt um, the, uh, the walls there. And, and so this is the position this man is in. He's a chief official. And what they had in the ancient world is the pharaohs and the kings, they had a cupbearer, and he was kind of like a, a right-hand man to the king, but he was also the wine taster of the king. What would happen is they would have coups all the time in the ancient world. People were always trying to take over the throne. It could even be your own sons who were trying to take you out. And one of the ways that they would accomplish this was by slipping a little poison into your food. So they got the wiser and they started to hire high-ranking officials to taste your food and your wine. So the cupbearer would get a cup of wine and the pharaoh would watch him drink it and then he would just watch him for a couple of minutes <laughs> to see what happened, to know if the wine was safe. So if you were the cupbearer to the king, wouldn't you make sure that you knew everything that was going on in the kitchen, <laughs> everything that was going on in the vineyard, all the preparations that were happening, you'd want to make sure because you were the first one to taste that wine. Well, these were honorary titles. They say the, the chief baker was probably the one that oversaw the menu for the pharaoh. And it's been suggested that these titles also related to the roles that these gentlemen played in ceremonies involving the Egyptian god Horus. They would bear the wine and carry the ceremonial bread to be used in such ceremonies. If you've ever done a little homework on Egypt, you know that for the most part, there may be a few exceptions of certain 
uh, pharaohs, but for the most part, the culture was steeped in all kinds of polytheism, many gods, many goddesses. They're very uh, superstitious. They had a fixation with the dead. And, and by the way, they were very much into dreams. In fact, in Egyptian culture, they taught that when you dreamt, you entered into a different world. They very much believed in the dream world. And what occurred there was very much real and related to your life. And so I just want to say a moment about dreams because we're going to get into dreams in a second. The Bible has little snippets of action that happens in dreams. A lot of it's in the book of Genesis. Some of it's in Daniel. Um, there's a few other spots you're going to see in your Bible. And then I think there's about six dreams recorded in the book of Matthew. Outside of those and a few other places that you'll come across the idea of a dream being given, uh, the, the prophets are actually warned that they say, I've had a dream from the Lord, and the Lord says, I didn't give them that dream. Welcome, listening family. This is Oscar Santa Cruz, producer of Living Truth Radio, and I'm here with Pastor Michael Lance. And you have just heard a segment on Genesis chapter 40. Pastor Michael, I have a question here. How can we apply Genesis 40 to our own selves? Everyone dreams. And we have a situation here to where there are two people that um, having troubled dreams. It's almost reminiscent of Daniel as well, when he, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had troubling dreams and Daniel went in to interpret. But in this situation, these men had troubling dreams. They didn't know what it meant. They somehow mentioned it to Joseph and Joseph came out and told him, interpretation of dreams belong to God. They yes. come from God. Yep. And so once again, we see our hero, Joseph, relying upon God. What can we take away from this? I know it's a supernatural thing. Many people out there have a lot of questions that they've dealt with, encountered. How can we apply this and what can we take from this? Well, I think you said it well, Oscar. Dreams are an intriguing category and we, we all do dream. And a lot of the dreams that we dream, we don't remember. It does seem like more alarming, um, troubling dreams stick with us. And we've talked about this in the past. And when you have a dream that really sticks with you, then it makes you ask some questions about, you know, what is the nature of this? You even brought up something before we went on the air, because both of these men are Egyptian servants of some sort or hierarchy, and they're unbelievers to, to our mind, right? They don't know the, mm -hmm. the God of Israel, yet they have dreams and they're troubled by the dreams. And one of the reasons that I think this happens, uh, Oscar, is because ultimately this dream interpretation that Joseph practices in the prison is going to get him before the Pharaoh when Pharaoh has a troubling dream. So I would say this, that we have to be careful with dreams that even upsetting, startling dreams are not necessarily of supernatural origin. And uh, we don't want to push it too far in terms of, you know, uh, overthinking our dreams. Can God speak to us through dreams? Yes, the Bible says so. It says he's done it in the past and I'm sure he can do it now. But we do need to be careful. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.